0: Hi friends, this is Justin from Y Catholic. I really appreciate everyone who has donated to keep this podcast going. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if people could support this podcast, but also get something in return? So I created a Y Catholic merch shop. You can find it on Etsy, just search for Y Catholic. And I've also linked to it in the show notes. These designs are 100% original. I wanted to make something that shares our faith, but also looks trendy. You can find t-shirts, hats, sweatshirts, and more. And I'm constantly adding to the store as well. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast to hear how you can get a special discount. Thanks so much for supporting Why Catholic. I attended a fundamentalist Baptist elementary school. Every week we would have chapel, and many weeks a teacher would get up and give what evangelicals describe as an altar call, an invitation to give one's life to Jesus. Very often, the teachers would use a poster card of sorts that was about twice the size of a sheet of paper. They'd hold this visual aid high in the air. On one side, the poster depicted this horrific scene of flames, and they'd say something like, this is hell. This is the place where non-Christians go, boys and girls. Then they'd flip the poster card over and reveal this beautiful, blissful, crystal city with streets of gold next to a pristine river boys and girls, this is heaven. This is paradise. The Bible tells us that if you ask Jesus into your hearts, you will get to go to heaven. Now, which do you prefer? They'd ask switching the card back and forth. Do you prefer hell or do you prefer heaven? Then they tell everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And they'd say with no one looking, if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart and would like to, will you raise your hand and hold it up? They'd pause for a few moments and then say, I see that hand. Thank you. I see that one. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I kind of wonder if people actually raised their hands or if that was a ploy to apply positive peer pressure. However, I do know a couple of people raised their hands because I can remember a number of occasions where the teacher would bring a student to the front of the classroom and say, Hey class, I've got some news. Tommy got saved today. He made a decision to follow Jesus. He's going to heaven. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. In our last episode, we transitioned from talking about the sacraments to the Catholic idea of salvation, something we're going to continue for the next couple of episodes. Today, I want to talk about the Catholic view of salvation, specifically salvation as a process. You see, most Protestants talk about salvation as an event. For example, growing up in Protestant circles, oftentimes when someone gave their testimony, they'd use a date to talk about salvation. For example, someone might say something like, On July 9th, 1984, I asked Jesus into my heart to be my Savior, and that was the day I got saved. I got saved. An event in a moment of time. Now that wasn't always the case. There were some who grew up in a Christian home and couldn't really pinpoint an exact moment when they quote unquote got saved. They had followed Jesus for their entire life. That was the way it was for me. I always felt awkward because I couldn't pinpoint an exact day. I actually asked Jesus into my heart every night when I was a little kid because I had seen that poster board many times at school and I was terrified of going to hell. Every night, that sinner's prayer was like crossing the T's and dotting the I's just in case maybe there was some formality I missed the previous times. So I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment when I quote unquote got saved. However, in middle school. I really walked away from Jesus. I was a rebellious kid, and every year, I would go to this summer Christian camp, and I'd feel guilty about my sin, and I really wanted to come back to the Lord. However, after I left camp, I just went back to my same old ways. The summer before my freshman year of high school, I attended that camp like I had done in previous years, and something happened over the course of that week that changed my life. I would say that I entered that camp not following Jesus, and I left that camp completely devoted to God. Depending on one's soteriology, that's just a fancy word that means the theology of salvation, some might say that was the week I became a Christian. Some might argue that I was already a Christian, and that was the week where I rededicated my life to the Lord. Well, what would Catholics say? How do Catholics talk about salvation? The first thing we have to understand is that Catholics don't talk about salvation as an event, but rather as a process. We are on a journey towards eternal life. That journey begins not with the sinner's prayer, but with baptism, that itself is an event with a date and a time. So if you ask Catholics, when did your process of salvation begin? They might say the moment they were baptized. This may seem like a foreign concept to Baptists and Evangelicals who see baptism as a symbol of one's salvation rather than an integral component of one's process of salvation. If you're wondering why Catholics emphasize a regenerative baptism or a salvific baptism, I would invite you to listen to episode 18 called One Baptism for the Forgiveness of Sins. But in a nutshell, the Bible associates one's salvation with baptism. For example, in John 3, during Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked, how does one be born again? To which Jesus responded, quote, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, end quote. In Acts 2, when the crowd at Pentecost heard Peter's preaching, they asked, what should we do? And Peter said, quote, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, End quote. During Paul's dramatic conversion, Acts 22, Ananias instructs him to, quote, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name, End quote. Lest we think baptism is a euphemism for something else, in 1 Peter 3, 21, Peter says, quote, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, End quote. So baptism is the beginning of our process of salvation. Why do we call salvation a process? Why don't Catholics say baptism is the moment you got saved? The answer is because the Bible seems to talk about salvation as a process. For example, in Philippians 2:12, Paul instructs us to quote, "work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure end quote. The manner in which Christians talk about salvation is often dependent on our theology of salvation. In Catholicism, like all the other ancient sects of Christianity, One can choose to walk away from Jesus and therefore forfeit their salvation. Therefore, salvation is not some automatic guarantee. It's a process. Whereas many Protestants talk about salvation as an event because they believe that you can never lose your salvation. In the 1500s, the Protestant reformers invented a new doctrine called eternal security, or perseverance of the saints, or sometimes referred to as once saved, always saved. The gist, as you might expect, is that when a person becomes a Christian, when they quote unquote get saved, then they're guaranteed eternal life in heaven no matter what. They could go out and commit a murder and never repent, but because they're saved, they will still go to heaven. Now, not every Protestant believes this, but for example, this is a big sticking point for Calvinists. I myself was a Calvinist, and Calvinists often use a mnemonic for their theology of salvation called TULIP. TULIP stands for total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. That last point, perseverance of the saints, means once someone is saved, they cannot lose their salvation. Ultimately, God is the one that does the work of salvation, and God doesn't make mistakes. Those who believe this point to passages such as Romans 8, 1, which states, quote, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Skipping ahead of verse 31, it continues, What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? End quote. In John six thirty nine, Jesus says, quote, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, end quote. In John ten twenty six 26-28, Jesus tells inquirers, quote, You do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand, end quote. Now, growing up, I had a friend who was a pastor and mentor, a man who truly emulated Jesus, Then one day he left ministry, and worse of all, he left God altogether and became an atheist. How do we make sense of that? Well, a Calvinist would say, well, either he was not really a Christian to begin with, or at the end of the day, God will still save him. Maybe he'll even have a dramatic reconversion before he dies. Man, I can only hope he has a dramatic reconversion. But to suggest he wasn't ever a Christian is just ludicrous. The problem with the once saved, always saved idea is that you have to reconcile it with passages such as Matthew seven twenty one through 23, where Jesus says, quote, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers, end quote. Or consider John 5, where Jesus refers to his followers as branches. He says, quote, "...every branch of mine that bears no fruit the Father takes away." He continues on by saying, "...if a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned." End quote. Or consider some of Paul's writings, like in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, through which says, quote, "...or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God?" Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. End quote. These passages seriously question this notion that I can say the sinner's prayer, turn my back on Jesus, and still inherit eternal life. To be honest, I I much prefer the view that many Protestants hold that once you're saved, you're always saved. I mean, it's really attractive. It's eternal life insurance. Man, even when I fail, no matter how badly, I can't lose my salvation. How great is that? Now, I was talking with a friend who was studying to be a pastor, and we were talking about confession. And he said confession, as he understood it, is not necessary because your sins have already been dealt with on the cross. Whether or not you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness doesn't have any bearing on whether your sins have already been paid for and forgiven. Oof. I'll ask the question I did in episode 29. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So what happens if we don't confess our sins? Why should we presume that God will still automatically forgive us? Is Jesus' sacrifice truly a blank check? When scripture tells us that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, the premise is that we are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice and follow him and no one can snatch them away, the premise is that his sheep are listening and following him. When we stray, we expose ourselves to all sorts of dangers and problems. We, like the prodigal son, run away, wallow in filth and despair, and live outside the kingdom of our father. This is why Catholics reject the doctrine of eternal security, or once saved, always saved. At the end of the day, God is a God of justice and a God of free will. If we don't want to be his follower, then he's not going to force that on us. Jesus treated Judas Iscariot mercifully. He dined with him. He washed his feet. But at the end of the day, Judas made his own decisions and betrayed Jesus. And Peter said of him that he, quote, turned aside to go to his own place, end quote. So does this mean that Catholics live in perpetual fear of going to hell, that any mistake, any sin, no matter how small, can doom us for eternity? Let me frame it differently. Catholics live with the perpetual hope of going to heaven. This is why we have the sacrament of reconciliation. The church recognizes that everyone sins. We all do it. We all have some lapse in judgment where we deliberately turn our back on Jesus. And so the church in its infinite wisdom said, You know, let's create a process for helping people be reconciled with God in the church community. Just like that week at camp before my freshman year of high school was a rededication of my life to Jesus. Every time we go to confession, it is a rededication of our life to Jesus. We tell God we're sorry. We ask for forgiveness and we implore him to help us not sin again. We hear our shepherd's voice and he welcomes us back into the fold. Whether we've told a little lie, or we've gone on a 10-year binge of prostitution and murder, we're in the same position as the prodigal son, running back to the father. There's something I want to leave you with, and that is this. At the end of the day, salvation is always, always, always dependent on God's mercy. I think this is something Protestants and Catholics share in common. We may have different views on salvation and how the process unfolds, but at the end of the day, it all rides on God's mercy. When we are baptized, we're relying on God's mercy to move through the water and wash away our sins. When we confess our sins, we're begging for God's mercy. When we receive the Eucharist, what do we say? We say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. When you read some of the saints, people that live devout, holy lives, they still talk about eternal life with this tone of dependency on God's mercy. Because at the end of the day, we're not good enough for heaven. We can't work our way there we're relying on God's mercy to carry us home. Protestants will accuse Catholics of having no assurance of salvation because after all, many Protestants believe that they could do absolutely any type of evil, not repent, and still go to heaven, no matter what. Catholics do have an assurance of salvation, but not a presumption of salvation. We don't presume that God is just writing a blank check. Rather, the way we talk about salvation is never apart from the mercy of God. That is the assurance we hold on to, that God's mercy is greater than all our sins. Whether those sins were intentional or not, God's mercy is greater than all our sins. And so every day is a day to beg Jesus for help to beg him to help us walk with him, to beg him to help us overcome temptation and sin, to beg him to deliver us from evil, to dine with him and beg for his daily bread and to beg for his mercy. This is why salvation is a process because living a Christian life is a process that happens one day at a time. When we walk with Jesus, we are becoming more like him and moving towards eternal life. Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it, and patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at Podcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.